Welcome to the Quick Talk Podcast with Joshua Latimer, where we discuss business, life, family, faith, struggle, fire, pain, and ultimately winning. It's time to take massive action. Look, I, I can't work harder on your life or business than you do. It's ultimately all on you. You know, God created all the food the birds would ever need, but he doesn't put it in their nest. You've got to go get it. 10 out of 10 people die. So how about doing something today that actually matters while you still can? Hey, my friends, welcome to the Quick Talk Podcast. How the heck are you? I hope you are in full spring, crazy, maniacal uh, go mode right now. I'm sure that you are. It's feast or famine for a lot of small businesses out there, uh, but you're going to want to stop what you're doing and pay attention to the interview today. I'm joined by my special guest, Debbie Sardone, who I had the pleasure of meeting for the first time a few weeks ago. We hopped on a phone call and we're talking about stuff, and holy cow, did I connect with this lady. Uh, Not only is she a crazy entrepreneur who's achieved crazy stuff. She's got a great heart. She loves her family. She's doing things for the world. Uh, She's turned her cleaning job into a seven-figure, self-running, total turnkey cleaning empire. She has one of the largest residential maid services in the country. Uh, She does a lot of speaking and training for other cleaning business owners all around the world. She's also known worldwide for her, her boot camps and her conferences and her courses. She even is a manufacturer of uh, the non-toxic speed cleaning products, and she's the author of a book, Speed Cleaning for the Pros. Uh, on top of that, she has a really successful nonprofit called Cleaning for a Reason. A lot of you have probably heard of this. And there's like thousands of maid services all over the world that donate cleaning for women who are battling cancer. Debbie, how the heck are you? Well, I'm exhausted after hearing that list of things that I'm involved in. (laughs) Well, isn't it funny? All of our non-entrepreneurial friends and family throughout the years, they say things like, you know, when's enough enough? Just slow down. Jeez, Debbie, what's the point, right? They just don't understand how our entrepreneurial brains work, do they? You know, I hate that question. People ask me all the time, so when are you going to retire? And I just feel like, well, what does that mean? Do you think I'm old? I don't know that I ever will. Yeah. Retire, we mean stop adding value to people, stop trying to change the world, stop trying to build generational wealth and be radically generous and give it all away and do cool, epic stuff. Why would anybody want to stop doing that, right? Exactly. So tell us briefly about your backstory. We have tons of maid services that listen to this, um, but it's a diverse audience. Were you just a house cleaner and then you built a a seven-figure maid service business? Can you give us the the basics going back in time? Even before that, I was a housewife. So I had my first baby at age 22 and decided I really needed to have some fun money. I had worked since I was age 14, always had my own money. So I started cleaning houses just out of the trunk of my car. And I did that for eight years and I loved it. You know, I'm a detailed person. I love cleaning. I love the feeling of leaving the house and it looks spectacular. So it was right up my alley. But at a certain point, because I have that entrepreneurial spirit, just like you do, I wanted more. And that's when I made the decision to to put down the mop and try to figure out how to build an empire. And seven years after I laid down the mop, we were grossing over a million dollars a year. I didn't know that there was anything unique about that. That was 25 years ago before the Internet. and. Uh, the rest is history. Did you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Was, did you have that kind of mindset? Did you not even know that you had that in you? Not at all. My family were um, 
uh, in corporate America. Nobody ever owned a business that I was aware of in my family. But I came from an incredibly loving, supportive family that always told me I could do whatever I put my mind to. And so when I, through a series of evolution in my personal growth, decided it was time to take the business to the next level, I actually never questioned whether or not I would succeed. I just always wondered when would I finally succeed. Mm -hmm. And what about your husband? Uh, He had a more traditional job while you started doing this. Was it like his wife's cute little hobby and then it just turned into this monster? Or how how was he when you started taking more and more time to work in the business? You know, he loved it. He was always supportive. My husband was a police officer. And so that was the job security and the health insurance and all the security that comes with working a real day job. And he gradually watched my business become bigger than his income. And it got to the point where, you know, he was driving up to the police department, you know, in a BMW and the cops were saying, so what, what is it that your wife does? Cause they all knew that I cleaned houses <laughs> over time. They were like, what, what, what does she do? <laughs> That's so awesome. So you're got a lot bigger than his job security. Mm-hmm. Amen, sister. So what about your kids? I'm curious. So they grew up while you were in the midst of trying to create a business. I'm oh. really fascinated about that because my kids are growing up when I'm doing that. What was that like? They each spent a summer cleaning houses, pushing a mop and a vacuum. And um, they both grew, you know, graduated, went to college. My daughter is an astrophysicist. She's about to receive her PhD sometime at the end of the summer. My son has two master's degrees in theology, but both have been entrepreneurs. He's actually a successful contractor in Dallas, and um, she owned her own uh piano studio for many, many years. So they both became entrepreneurs just in different ways. And um, I'm proud of them both. So I want to shift a little bit. You know, I'm just picturing in my head someone listening to this who doesn't have the supportive husband, the health insurance. They didn't have the family saying you can do anything you put your mind to. They don't have a PhD kid. Like, (laughs) obviously, this was a massive amount of work for you to create this. And I already know how this all works. And it's through the grind and the grit and showing up. But what would you say to someone who feels like, well, Debbie just had an advantage. You know, my little cleaning business, my market's different. She doesn't understand. What would you say to them to tell them the hard truth? The hard truth. In fact, I talk to people almost every single day that describe what you just described. They think their situation is unique. They think their part of the country just happens to have more cheap competition than all of the rest of us have. They think their part of the country happens to have more price sensitive customers than the rest of us have. And the hard truth is we all have the same exact problems in this industry. We all struggle with price sensitive customers. Um, attracting the right kind of workers that will stay long term instead of walk four months after we pour our heart and soul into training them. We all have the same struggles. And so if we have the same struggles, no matter whether or not you're in Florida or Canada or California or Texas, if we all have the same struggles, then that means there should be a set of solutions that will apply to all of us. And that's when I created my Cleaning Business Fundamentals Academy, um, really it started over 10 years and then version 3.0 
around five years ago, and I train people all over the world how to fix these specific problems in their business. You can do it if you have a plan, if you have a proven plan. Yeah, I, I call it the architecture. Like the way I'm kind of a visual person, but really all service businesses have the same architecture, the same guts, right? So there's different systems and different departments and things you have to master. It doesn't mean it's easy, but the path is like the same. Like you go from stage one, then you get a team, then you go to stage two and there's more admin. Then you're like, there's this process that everybody that's doing seven plus figures with their business has really went through, even though there's different circumstances. And I try to beat this into, into the heads of the people that I help too, but it doesn't mean that it's easy, right? What's that? I, uh, I call those the tiles. Mm -hmm. And so there's like maybe five tiles within our industry, like you just described. Yeah. And they pretty much look the same for all of us. But what I do is, is I come in and I furnish the grout. So all these people have these beautiful tiles, but they really can't walk on them. They can't build that freedom-based business where their business doesn't own their life or they're struggling to build that six-figure-plus income. And so without the grout, they could literally spend years with the tiles, but an unsatisfying or unrewarding or unprofitable business. Well, explain uh, a little bit more about that. Go ahead and, and teach us a little bit about the grout, about the different stages or tiles as you call them. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked about that because there are three simple principles that all of us who have been successful, had to master. I know you have mastered and others will have to as well. There's three simple principles that I wrote down. Structures, execution, and accountability. Without those three things, we usually fall apart. We don't follow through. We may have great execution, but we have no structure to follow, no plan. So I start with those. You, we do need structures. We need execution, meaning we follow through. We don't make big dreams and big plans and do nothing. But then we need accountability. We need numbers to hold us accountable. We need to be able to look at the numbers and know what to do with those numbers every single month to hold us accountable. And so I start with those three things. Mm -hmm. And then people say, well, that's nice. That's kind of broad. So then I break it down to five disciplines, five disciplines. And again, they're still kind of broad, but within each discipline, the answers are found. Number one, vision and clarity. I know you've seen this. We, we talk to people who have no idea what they really want out of their business. Oh, it's so everyone knows what they don't want, though. So yeah. I, I ask them, what do you want? I remember I asked my sister, what do you want in a husband? She said, well, I don't want someone that's lazy. I don't. I said, no, no, no. Like, <laughs> what do you want? They don't know because they're in reactive mode for their whole. I don't know why. Why do you think that? Is? Well, I think you nailed it. Most people are so disappointed with their results. They can only think about the things they hate and don't want. And they're constantly reaction mode. And when you realize there is hope. And what you truly want, you can achieve if you have the right structures and you actually follow through. Then it gives them personal permission to define what on earth do you want. And then when I pull that out of people, I will hear different things from different people. Some people will say, I want a six-figure income because I want to send my children to private school or I want to drive a nicer car or I want to finally own a nice home. So once you get permission to define what on earth do you want and you know it with crystal clear vision, then you're much more likely to move on to what I call a plan. And this is where I talk about structures. 
you know, all the hard work in the world will not pay off with a plan that's broken, a plan that doesn't work. I know people who work harder than I do and are still spinning their wheels. So it's not just about hard work. You have to have a proven plan, a proven process to follow, or you have to do like other people before you had to do, spend 10 years in the trial and error mode. Some never get out of the error mode, some luck out and do. So a plan is the next thing you've got to have. Hey, my friends, Josh here. I want to hang out with you personally, preferably you and your spouse this October at my house in Ludington, Michigan, and we want to help radically transform your business. There's many reasons you should consider attending the Automate Grow Sell experience. Uh, I'm just going to have Brandon Vaughn, my good buddy, share one of them, and it has to do with just one of the many multi-million dollar home service company mentors that we're going to have on site for you to network with and learn from in the most intimate, personal way you've ever even heard of. Brandon, uh, what mentor are we going to focus on today? Okay, so the first mentor that I want to talk about is Elena Ledeau. And oh my gosh, I cannot believe that she actually agreed to come to this event. Um, she's a complete rock star. She's won so many awards, not only uh, nationally recognized, but uh, just this year she actually won the Small Business Administration Small Business Person of the Year for the state of Nevada. Um, she started her maid service company and within two years she was doing over a hundred thousand dollars a month in her maid service business she employs over 40 people she generated millions of dollars in revenue they own their own office building um, and her maid service company is like top rated number one maid service company in nevada um, she's an absolute rock star uh, she's an attorney she's a mom she's a serial entrepreneur she's launched uh, all kinds of things. She's actually an immigrant that has come in and she's had just an amazing, successful career, um, not only as an attorney, but also as an entrepreneur. And um, I'm so excited because she has such a servant heart mentality. She loves helping people. Um, so she's going to be actually one of the mentors at these tables. So imagine being able to, you know, not only uh, talk to her about you know what are her number one tips in in growing and scaling the business, but what it takes to actually systemize and run a maid service in that short of time. You know, doing a hundred thousand dollars a month and scaling up that fast, which that's that's a struggle. That's a struggle to get to that point that quickly. And she's going to talk about you know what are the what are the things that she had to overcome in order to be able to to handle that level of growth. So um, you know, not only are we going to be talking to these mentors one on one. Uh, but you're going to be breaking bread with them. You're going to be enjoying, um, you know, vacation type amenities and some of the surprises that we're going to have at AGS Experience. Um, maybe you and Elena can be riding a go kart on Josh's property uh, in Michigan. It's going to be absolutely epic and incredible event, and I cannot wait for you to meet Elena. I couldn't agree more. Elena is amazing. What she's done is extraordinary. Go to agsexperience.com and make a deposit today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you got the vision, you got clarity on what you want, why you want it. Uh, you know, people, to, to go back to vision again, like I, I've noticed it, it causes anxiety in people just to to verbalize what they want sometimes. Just to admit, well, I, I, I think I want this. I, I think I want that. It's almost like because they don't know how, they don't even yeah. give themselves permission to even desire it in the first place. Like they'll only give themselves permission to desire the thing when they feel like they know exactly how to get the thing. But it doesn't work like that. Verbalize it. I actually had a lady say to me on Friday, she said, Debbie, 
why do I keep sabotaging myself in growth? And I said, I can tell you why by some of the things you've already told me. I said, you are so afraid of failure, you will not move forward because she's never found a way to succeed in the past. So she likes to keep herself right where she's at because failure is so painful. And I said, once you have a plan for success, you're going to be one of the ones that will pursue it aggressively. But she just kept sabotaging herself and settling for less than she really wanted out of her business because she hates failure. And so do I. I hate failure. <laughs> I think a lot of people don't feel worthy. And now we're getting into some really deep, epic conversations. Ooh. They just don't feel worthy of yeah. having success, whatever that looks they, like. They see rich people as those people over there. They don't see themselves as a wealthy, successful entrepreneur. They see that as something other people get. Mm -hmm. And when you realize, wait a minute, I am worthy of this. I work hard. I'm ethical. I deserve it as much as the next person. You know, I never went to college, Josh. I have a high school degree. Mm -hmm. You know, 18, got married. Me too. <laughs> uh, I'm not intimidated by the, the person with the MBA, okay, a business administration degree. That's wonderful. I probably make a lot more than most of them. When you realize your education cannot hold you back. Your previous family dysfunction that you were raised in cannot hold you back. Mm, preach. Your, your lot in life, your race, your religion, none of that can hold you back. The only thing that can hold you back is you. That's it. That's right. Man, that's good. That's so good. I love it. I, I always joke that I, I went to college for five minutes. I stopped by. But that's about it. And even when I had a cleaning business, and now I'm doing software and some other stuff, but with my service business, I remember one day I went in, I realized I had like four or five people that had college degrees working for me. And it like blew my mind. I'm like, what? What? Right? Because that I was in my mid-20s and I'm like, this is crazy, right? But we don't get paid for working hard. You get paid for value creation. And when you can do things other people can't do, you get results that other people can't get. Uh, so good. Okay, so the three principles, the structure, execution, accountability was kind of your first framework. Underneath that's five disciplines I wrote down so far, vision and clarity, and then the plan. What's next? All right, the third one, it's the numbers, baby. It's the metrics. Okay, how can you hold yourself accountable if you have no idea what you're holding yourself accountable to? I talk to people all the time that say, I'd love to have a seven-figure business. I want to gross a million dollars a year. And the first question I'll ask them is, do you know how many recurring customers you'll need to achieve that goal? have no idea. It's so simple. In most cases, in most parts of the country, you need 350 recurring customers. Boom. Done. Okay. Now you at least know what your goal is if you're at 100 you're a third of the way there, or just under a third of the way there. So just knowing the numbers, how many leads typically convert to a sale? If you have no idea, start tracking it. You can start tracking it tomorrow without my help or yours. And if you don't even know how many leads are coming in the door, then you don't know how many predictably you'll convert at the end of the month. So start tracking and measuring everything. The answers are in the numbers. They don't lie. Ever. Amen. Numbers don't lie. They don't care about your feelings. <laughs> An or another one, you can borrow this because I borrowed it, but math is the path. That's what, what we say here, right? So Love it. That's great. Okay. What's after numbers? 
Now, right, so you have a, you have the vision, you have the plan, you're obsessed with the numbers. What do we Absolutely do next? Absolutely obsessed. Number four, the tactics. This is the boring stuff, Josh. You and I both know this. It's those daily activities, those things we do day in, day out. It's the incremental progress. Darren Hardy calls it the compound effect. It's the tactics, the little tasks that seem so insignificant, so a lot of people just don't do them, and others do them day in and day out. It's the right tasks every day, consistently, will move you forward in business. You know what's funny about that is, is now that I'm looking at your list come together, I see people doing all this backwards. And where I see the lower level business owners living is they live in like tactics. They go on Facebook and argue about, should I use this soap or this soap? Or should I do this or that? And uh, and maybe you meant something different by tactics. But what I mean is the real money, the real power is in getting clear in your vision and your clarity. The next thing below that, like that is the anchor. That's the foundation. Then you have you have to have a plan, like a, an actual path. Even an imperfect plan will crush it compared to what most people have. And then you start understanding your numbers. See, we're not even to tactics until after all of that. And they haven't done any of that. And then they're arguing about mop brands or carpet cleaning chemicals or whatever. Do you right. see that too? The only way the tactics are the right ones, if they come from the plan instead of the reaction to your business. Mm. And so I tell business owners all the time, just like you just said, because you nailed it, I tell them success in the cleaning industry has almost nothing to do with cleaning. To be honest with you, I don't. I, some of you clean better than I do because I haven't cleaned in 25 years. So it's very little to do with cleaning. Of course, the minimum standard is given, but it's not about the mop or the cleaning products in the bucket. It is about the plan and the tactics that you are putting in place every day because you have a plan. That's so true. hundred percent. It's a hundred percent about managing expectations with your clients, over delivering. You're basically, we're dopamine dealers. We're making people feel happy and we're making them stick and we're, we use tactics to follow up and love on them and surprise them and over deliver a little bit here and... That's so good. Debbie, this is awesome. What's uh, what's number five? All right. The last one in my set of disciplines to help you with those three principles is urgency. Another way of putting urgency would be to call it commitment. This is when you move from a dream to a desire, where you have this burning desire to put down the mop forever. You have this burning desire to build an empire and you begin to think in terms of deadlines and timelines instead of dreaming. Someday I'm going to do this. One of these days I'm going to do this. Mm. So without a sense of urgency, we kind of do nothing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, have you heard the quote, the difference between a dream and a goal is a date? Or, or in your case, the difference between a dream and a desire is a date. Like you have to have some sort of a, a marker that you stick in the ground and say, you know, this is another example I've used on the podcast before is if you tell yourself you're going to lose 10 pounds, nothing will happen. If you tell yourself you're going to lose 10 pounds by Thursday, it does something in your brain. You're like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, my God, I can't eat this Reese cup right now. Like I, I have to fight the re because there's deadlines matter. Yeah, that's. And you know, people don't set deadlines for themselves because of that other thing we talked about earlier about the fear of failure. And so we don't set deadlines because we have no clear path 
to reaching that goal that we just said we want to reach by Thursday or by 2020. And so oftentimes the very fact that we won't set a deadline, which means we won't commit to it because there is no urgency, is part of the process of sabotaging our own ability to succeed and reach the goals that we deep down inside have but don't want to say out loud. Yeah, and we put ourselves in a scenario where we guarantee ourselves failure so that at least we feel comfortable because we we knew that that's all we were worth in the first place. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Ah, um, oh, it's it's maddening, Debbie. I want to set people free. I want to help them. Um, can we talk for a few minutes about employees? Because Absolutely. this is like this is the thing. This is this is like the reason business owners heads want to explode this is the number one pain point from my perspective and honestly right now come to me i'm sorry but didn't mean to talk about it that is the number one reason they come to me is Mm -hmm. they can't solve the employee issue yeah it's 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 a it's a it's a tough cookie to crack but there's some major things you can do and I, i want to hear your thoughts on it but i've also noticed this year in particular it really is harder like i don't want to just disregard the fact that the labor market's different now. The economy's crushing it. Like, there's just there's some things happening where it is harder. In fact, I for me, I think this year is one of the hardest years I've ever seen in terms of getting people to work hard in a labor job. I don't know if it's a millennial thing and they want to be, I don't know. So there is the reality that it's a challenge. It is a real challenge. What are your thoughts? Okay, so I've got the secret formula to that. Because when people who have been in business, you know, less than 10 or 15 years say, oh my goodness, the labor market is so tight. Like right now nationwide, it is under 4%. In most parts of the country, it's like 3.9%. And people feel like, I've never seen it so low. And what I say to them is when I was at the lowest point in my business growth, the uh, labor market was at 1.9% unemployment. So actually, don't complain to me about 3.9. I'm I'm thinking to myself, piece of cake. Now, like you said, we can't diminish the fact that people really do struggle to find good labor. Technically, you need a 5% labor pool to make it easy to find, you know, workers in this market. But here's what I tell everybody, and to me, this is the secret, and this is what my whole program is built around. If you want workers who will come to work for you, high-quality workers who will come to work for you, love their job, and stay long-term, it is not about finding better workers. It is about being a better job. And most people are looking for the perfect employee and they need to be the perfect job. Oh. And if you work on yourself and your business and your job offer, the good ones are going to run out the back door within four months. And the amazing ones won't even apply. I, I got goosebumps when you were saying that. Um, I've said similar things. You know, like we, we feel like we're entitled to these elite workers. Yet we never stop and ask ourselves it, would I want to work for my company? Yeah. Would, would I like? Am I a worthy employer? Do we have anything to actually offer these people? Yeah. What's so great about your job? Yeah, that's a tough. I mean, the truth hurts, but it's so powerful. You know what answer I usually get? 
I don't ask it quite that directly because I try not to be rude when I'm actually talking to somebody who's struggling. In fact, I'm not. I'm, I'm usually much less direct. But you know what their answer usually is when I ask them what's so great about your job when it keeps you know, turning and burning employees? And the best answer they can give is, well, uh, we're better than that other maid service over there. And that's the best answer. And it's like, yes, but their turnover is as high as yours. And it's such a, it's just it's just a way of externalizing the real problem and pretending like you're a victim to your circumstance and oh uh, you know I'm doing the best I can no you're not no one listen to this is doing I'm not doing the best I can <clears throat> like not even close like I don't know I, how do you take a, a job like maid service where you know there's limitations on the types of wages you can pay on that, right? It's a no, it's numbers, right? So even if you're a premium provider and you're getting great rates and you're you're investing in all kinds of perks and things for your employees, they're not going to make a hundred grand a year cleaning houses, or maybe even fifty grand. Maybe you know thirty thousand a year would be a really good job. What can you do that doesn't cost a fortune to craft a value proposition for potential employees? So this is one of the principles I teach every day because most people, like you described earlier, they've got everything backwards in their business. And the very first thing that I teach people to define and create in their business is their profit model. Most people haven't done that first. And so they're just hoping, wishing, and praying for profit at the end of every single month. And what happens is profit is very elusive. It has to be controlled. It has to be carefully defined up front and then protected like a maniac. And when that doesn't happen, there's so little profit for the owner. The owner has to take from every area of the business and the one place they take is employee benefits, employee pay. They just structure their business around low, crappy pay Mm. just because they're reacting to the fact that they don't make any money anyway. There is no profit to pay well. Now, pay is not the only thing because you described millennials. What do they want? It's not the only thing. But you have to take that off the table as the number one thing for people to leave and keep quitting over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's really good. Are you familiar with Mike Michalowicz, the Profit First guy? You know who I'm oh, talking yes. about? I love his book. It fits so beautifully in this formula I've been teaching for 10 years. It's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's really neat. He's he's actually been on here before and talked about this stuff. I it just... People won't do it, Debbie. So they're listening to this right now. You know why? Because listening to a podcast is a form of entertainment. And so they're they're working out. They're on a treadmill. They're, they're doing something. They're on a lawnmower right now. How do we get them to do this stuff, to carve out the time? Like, how do we kick them in the butt with our audio going into their ears? What would you say to someone who is nodding their head? Like, they know that this is truth. This is truth bomb. How do we kick them in the butt to get them to make changes? Well, very few people will make change until the pain is big enough. And we're all that way. So we won't eat better until our health is threatening us. Or we won't lose weight until we've purchased two sizes bigger than we want to be. And we're <laughs> determined not three sizes bigger. So I think we're all the same in that regard. Until we're in enough pain, we're not going to make the changes or find ways to make the changes. And so the first step is deciding 
am I just perfectly content to be where I'm at today for the rest of my life? And if the answer is, yeah, I think so, then there's really nothing to change. If you are thinking to yourself, no, absolutely not. If my situation isn't different five years from today, then realize it will be if you don't make the changes, if you don't pursue help, if you don't start defining what profit you actually do have. Hmm. Josh, I talk to people who literally do not know what their income is and they're the owner of their business. Right. (laughs) They don't know what their profit is. The most painful thing to look at is go look, dig like crazy. Yeah, That's how you create the pain is to actually be honest with yourself and realize, (laughs) yeah, well, I think very, very few people are fully, totally, and completely content. Like I arrived, I really did it. And if that's you, that's amazing, but that's not most people. So most people have cognitive dissonance. They're not content, but they pretend like they can't change it. And that's why they externalize everything. Well, I'm not content, but you know, the labor market, so I have to just accept it or that my competitors are too cheap. So I'm just stuck. And that's just a lie. The other thing I've noticed is the information's so out there. When when you built your business, you didn't have access to like Debbie Sardone boot camp training stuff. You didn't but today, like if you can't make it right now, you never would have made it before. Like the, the the information's out there. It's everywhere. Even just the free content alone on a show like this or the stuff that you do, you could build a million dollar business if you went beast mode and executed on everything. So we don't really have an information problem, do we, Debbie? We have more of a behavior problem. We have In some ways, there's a little bit of an information problem in that there's so much Mm -hmm. that people convince themselves that if they just do enough research and they listen to a hundred different people who do things a hundred different ways, somehow they'll figure out a magical formula. You got to pick somebody that you truly believe has the knowledge, one or two people, and work with them and put what they say into practice you know, read profit first and then go set up your bank accounts and go carve out your profit. Don't listen to anybody else until you fix that profit problem. Mm. Stop studying everybody and nobody, which is what happens. That's right? so good. They're, they're learning everything and nothing at the same time. Yeah. You're right. I think we have an opinion problem too. So they're also getting uncompetent advice online. Hey guys, what should I do? My business is stuck. And then 300 people comment. of it is just terrible advice, but they don't know how to differentiate. I think that's really good. So, you know, I want to respect your time and kind of land the plane here in a minute. What are some things you might want to say to people listening uh, to inspire them, to kick them in the butt, whatever, whatever you want to do? And how can people connect with you if they want to dig deeper? Well, what I would like to say to inspire people is um, I'm I'm a bootstrapper. I did not arrive at a seven-figure business because I was lucky. I just knew that I probably wouldn't figure it out on my own, and it was time to ask for help. I sought help, and then I listened to everything they told me, and I followed exactly a proven path to change my results. And so it's really doesn't matter where you are, where you are today. If you want this bad enough, you will work with the right experts. You might work with Josh or somebody else or, or just go find the right experts and work with them and listen to people who know what they're talking about and let them help you. Don't spend the next 10 years just trial and error and trying to guess your way to success. That rarely works. Mm -hmm. 
If you want to build a residential cleaning business, because I only work with people who want to build a residential cleaning business, I have great um, other experts that I will refer you to if you want to build any other kind of business other than a residential cleaning. But if you want to build that kind of business, you can find me at debbiesardone.com or you can learn more about my, my five-step training program. It's literally a formula, not a collection of advice. It's a formula. And you can find that at cleaningbusinessfundamentals.com. I love that. And actually, something I, I overlooked here in our conversation, I want to learn more about your, your nonprofit. How did that come about and what kind of impact is that making? That's amazing. I'm really glad you asked me about that, Josh, because it is so near and dear to my heart. And I know, uh, you know, giving back is in, incorporated into your business as well. And I started the nonprofit about 14 years ago and it just started out as a company policy in my own cleaning business. And then eventually it grew into a real legitimate nonprofit. We have over 1,200 maid services all across the United States and Canada that are donating their time in their local communities. You can learn more about how you can get involved by visiting cleaningforreason.org. So it's a cancer charity. We serve families who are battling cancer. So far since I started it, um, we've served over 30,000 families who had cancer and they received the gift of completely free house cleaning. And that's worth about $10 million in donated services. So we're looking for more cleaning services that want to use what they do for a living to give back in their own local community. That is so epic. Ugh. I don't even know what to say. We'll just let the mic drop on that. But Debbie, I want to thank you for your time. I love your story. I love your heart. I love that you're doing stuff. You're building stuff. I love that your cop husband drove a BMW to work. I think that's awesome. <laughs> and I look forward to connecting more in the future, Debbie. Thank you so much. Thank you, Josh. Hey, thanks for hanging out, friends. And from all of us here at the Quick Talk Podcast team, we hope you love today's show. We hope that you were inspired to become a doer and not just a listener. Apply what you've heard today in your own business and watch things change for the better. Lastly, remember that all the money in the world can't save your soul. Seek first the kingdom of God, my friends. We'll see you next time. For more information about the Quick Talk Podcast or Joshua's other businesses, visit our website, quicktalkpodcast.com. Have a blessed day.